invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them this morning, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The focus of our sermon this morning will be on uh, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. So you may uh, keep your Bibles open there, but before we come to that passage, I want to uh, maybe take a little bit of time here to give you the context of uh, this section of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And I'm going to read to you from some other passages, but I don't want you to turn there. I want you to uh, focus on what I'll be reading uh, to you. I want you to know that in approximately the year 50 A.D., the Apostle Paul came to the city of Corinth. This is the church that he's writing this letter to that we're reading today. He came in 50 A.D. to this town and he planted a church. And it's a fascinating uh, little story. It's recorded for us in the beginning of Acts chapter 18. Now just listen, I want to read it very uh, quickly to get our minds sort of focused on um, who Paul's speaking with. Paul leaves Athens and he goes to Corinth, to the city. And he found a Jew there named Achilla, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And so Paul goes to see them and because he was of the same trade, Paul stayed with them and he worked for they were tent makers by trade and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So you have to understand, the Apostle Paul is coming into this town where there are transplanted Christian people but he comes into a town where there are Jews and Greeks who do not believe in Christ. And so what does he do? He goes to the, the synagogue on the Sabbath day where the Jews are coming together to worship the God of the Old Testament along with some of the Greeks who were God-fearing people and who come to the knowledge of this Old Testament God. And he begins to preach the gospel of them. And then when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Then fine, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named uh, Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. So the Jews, by and large, were rejecting him and rejecting the message of Christ. So he goes to the Gentiles who believed in the God of the Jews and he started preaching particularly to them about Christ. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul believed, and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, don't be afraid, even though you're being persecuted by the Jews, who are unbelieving, but go on speaking and don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. And listen to this. The Lord tells Paul in Corinth, I have many people in this city. Many of my elect are in this city who have yet to come to faith in Christ. And Paul, you stay in Corinth and you preach the gospel and many people will come to faith in Christ. And he stayed there, the scripture says, a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And the church was planted in Corinth. This was fantastic. This was a pagan city. And Paul goes under the calling of the Lord where he has many of his elect there yet to come to faith in Christ. He preaches the gospel and that church is planted. So that takes us into the middle of the, the, uh, the 100s, the second century. So the church itself flourishes by the grace of God. But after that time, Paul, of course, leaves. 
And soon after he leaves, apparently, the church begins to go south, and quickly. Paul somehow began receiving reports that there were trouble in the church. There were problems like public, undisciplined, unrepentant, gross sin in the church. Kinds of just disgusting sexual immorality, for example. There began to develop in this Christian church very strong factions and almost parties dividing the church. So Paul writes them a letter, which we no longer have today. Paul writes them a letter. It's really the first letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. It's not our first Corinthians. It would be the one that came before that, but it's lost to us today. And we know that he wrote an initial letter because in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he makes reference to a letter that he wrote previously. Now, I'm just going to read that section to you. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. So, one of the problems they were having in the church is there was no discipline going on. There was a public, open sexual immorality in the church. The elders and the ministers were not doing anything about it. Paul had heard about that. He wrote to them, and later he thought, well, maybe I better write and talk to them again, because apparently they had, after receiving his first letter, wrote back and asked him some questions about the things that he had said for further clarification. So, actually, what... 1 Corinthians is, is a response to the questions that came from Corinth after Paul had written his first letter. The reason we know that is because he keeps mentioning things that they brought up in this letter that they sent to him, which of course we also don't have. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 7 verse 1, now for the matters that you wrote about. There's a transition in 1 Corinthians 7 to discuss or address, answer the questions that they gave to him after he had written to them in the first place. 1 Corinthians 8.1, about food sacrifice to idols. 1 Corinthians 12.1, now about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 16.1, now about the collection for God's people. So the church had sent to Paul a letter asking him for further clarification on the things that he had sent them in the first place. So, it has been five years since Paul has planted this church in Corinth and he's been going back and forth in writing these letters and he sits down to write, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this second letter, which we have as 1 Corinthians. And this is going to set up the theme for what he says in the third letter. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the first six verses there. Now concerning the collection for the saints, do as I directed the churches of Galatia. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and to store it up, as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany you. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. So here's what happened. Paul plants the church. He hears of troubles, so he writes them a letter. One of the things he writes in the letter is he tells them about the saints in the living in Jerusalem who are suffering under persecution, and so church in Corinth, you should collect an offering so that we can send it to them to help them. They write back and say, Paul, what did you mean? How exactly do you want us to go about collecting this offering? And Paul writes back in 1 Corinthians 16 and gives them specific instructions and also says, listen, I'm planning to come to you through Macedonia, or send people to you at least to collect the gift and then take it back to Jerusalem. And then about another year goes by, but Paul has yet to come 
to Corinth to collect this offering. So he decides to write to them again. And this is the focus of our message this morning. You understand the context. You understand the church that he's writing to. So this is basically the third time that he's asking them or talking about these things. What does he say? This is the holy word of God. We have to pay attention to it. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and even beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we even expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And accordingly we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. And I do not mean that others should be eased and you should be burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever before, because of his great confidence in you. And as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boasted about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove vain in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind 
Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. So far the reading of God's holy word. That's a long passage. But we need to read that to understand the context of what's happening here. And let me start by asking you a question. What is it that surprised Paul as he was traveling north from the city of Ephesus and across the Aegean Sea and throughout the churches in Macedonia, Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea as he was on his way to Corinth? What is it that surprised Paul And there are two things that surprise Paul. And you can see them in the first five verses of chapter 8 here. Two things surprise Paul. The first thing that surprised him is, as he was going through the churches in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, they were poor and they were persecuted. They almost had nothing. And yet, they were giving Paul a lot of money, even beyond their ability. And this surprised him, didn't it? Let me tell you, Paul says, in a severe test, verse 2 of their affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They gave according to their means, and really, as I can testify, they gave beyond their means. They gave beyond their means. They were so generous. He couldn't hardly believe it. These people who were suffering under horrific economic conditions were so filled with the desire to give, that they gave beyond their own ability. What was the other thing that surprised him? Look in that last phrase in verse 3. He said they gave of their own free will. Verse 4, they begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not what we expected. He said we expected it enough that they would give themselves to the Lord. In other words, that they in their own lives would go about worshiping the Lord faithfully, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, that they would go about repenting from their sins and living the Christian life and forsaking all kinds of idols. That's what we expected. But more than that, they brought it up to us. In fact, they begged us that they could participate in the support of the relief to the saints for which Paul was known for at this time, collecting that offering for the saints who were needy in Jerusalem. It surprised Paul, seeing this decrepit, poor condition that these people were giving so much money. And not only that, that Paul never even asked for it in the first place. That they begged him and the other apostles and the other Christian workers to receive their offerings for the relief of the saints. And in the broader context of uh, the whole New Testament letters, the ministry of Paul, and even in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, we saw that 
the, the money that the Apostle Paul was collecting was not only for the relief of the saints in Jerusalem. By the way, the reason why the Jerusalem saints needed money was because when they came to profess the Lord Jesus Christ, they were shut out of their basic livelihood. People in the community said that they're forsaking the Lord God of Israel when they were following Christ. And therefore, if you are forsaking him, we will not do business with you. We will not buy from your shops. We will not buy your crops. If you're a member of my family, you will be shunned for following this false Messiah as they saw it. And so these people had no means of making a living. And on top of that, God was pouring out judgment on that nation of Israel, on Jerusalem anyway at this time, for her forsaking Christ when he came into the world. So the economic conditions as they were were already terrible as the Roman armies were coming into the city. So the Christian community all around the world at this time is sending money into Jerusalem through the Apostle Paul and the Christian workers. Now, it's interesting to think about it, but the churches in Thessalonica and Philippi and Berea in this Macedonian region that Paul is going through, that he's writing to the Corinthian church about, it's not like they're a whole lot better off than the saints in Jerusalem, although, of course, the suffering that Jerusalem is going through is is more extreme in certain ways. But it didn't matter to these people. You know, they were happy. They were begging the apostles to participate in this. But you notice that this money that is being collected in the broader teaching here of Paul in his letters is not only being spent on the relief of the saints, but it's being spent on the propagation of the gospel and church planting. Specifically, what that means is that money is going to pay the preachers. Let me just show you that from 2 Corinthians itself. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and I was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who had come from Macedonia supplied my need. In other words, when the church in Corinth was not anting up to pay for their own preacher, or they couldn't because of their own conditions, then the collections which were going on for the relief of the saints in Jerusalem and for the advancement of the kingdom out of the coffer that was built up in Macedonia was being spent to support Paul's livelihood while he was going about and planting churches. And this is typical of what the uh, early church was doing. Acts chapter, uh, or First Timothy chapter 5 verse 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church are well of, uh, uh, who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of a double price, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. That's talking about the ministers of the word who are called to do that task The Apostle says in writing to Timothy in the Ephesian church, listen, you're supposed to be able to support the ministers of the word financially so that they can do the ministry of the word and expand the kingdom in church planting. That's the idea. The scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. So, Paul and the churches in Macedonia are recognizing that money is being collected for relief of the saints and for paying the preachers to plant churches. This is where the money's going in the early church. And it surprised Paul that they welled up in this level of generosity. Now, of course, it seems like he's writing to the church in Corinth. Why? Because initially they had made a commitment to collecting an offering, and it sounds like a pretty generous offering for these purposes. But as time went on, they weren't exactly living up to the promise or there was some question whether or not they were going to be able to fulfill the commitment that they made. 
And it seems very obvious, doesn't it, in the way that Paul is talking to them, that he's urging them to not just sort of meet that old promise that they made, but really to follow the pattern of the churches in Thessalonica and Berea and Philippi. And to give more generously out of the abundance that Paul has given them. Now we can talk a little bit about the motivation that the Apostle Paul uh, gives to them. Sometimes it's very soft, sometimes he chides them a little bit. In chapter 8, verse 9, why does he tell them to give? The, of course, the motivation for giving is that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. So the motivation for giving that Paul is using is saying, think, think about Christ. Think about the depths of your own depravity and sin and your own lost condition. And think about his riches. And his glories with the Father and with the Spirit from all of eternity past. And think about what he did. He came into the world. He left his heavenly splendor and glory and comes to earth and the infinite becomes finite and he limits himself. And not only does he limit himself, but he suffers at the hands of wicked men in a criminal universe. They are rebelling against him and he comes and suffers at their hands for our sake. He goes all the way even to the cross. He becomes the most despised and poor. He becomes someone who doesn't have even a place to lay his head and ultimately is crucified at the hands of the people who hate him. The people that he made as their creator. And when you think about that, Paul says, then I want you to see as much as he has given that of course you should overflow with generosity and give of your money for those reasons. To plant the churches and to relieve the saints who are in need. Which, of course, is an integral part of church planting. That's the motivation. The motivation is gratitude. The motivation is to see what Christ has done for us, and then to say, well, of course, I want to give all the more. Other motivations he gives. He says, listen, prove it. Prove it. You confess, prove what? You confess that you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You confess that you have a love of the brothers, you confess that you love the body of Christ, prove it. And we saw that language over and over again. I don't want it to be the case, says Paul, that I send down a couple of workers and they come back with a report that the offering is not given or that you're not giving generously. And how does that make you look? I've been boasting all the time about the gracious work of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life and that the church that is planted here is a genuine church and that you really came to faith. And now what happens? You make a promise to give and if you don't fulfill that, what does it say? It says that your confession is phony. You know, it's an embarrassment. It'll embarrass me personally. I testified about your generosity and your true faith and your sanctification. And if you fail on this, then it's all a joke, let alone what it's going to say about you and your reputation to the outside. And he says, listen, look at the the results of you if you give. What's going to happen is people will be encouraged. Other churches will be planted. People will actually be praying all the more for you because they will be encouraged at the support that you are giving them. You see, our generous giving, because it pays for the preaching of the Word and for the training of the preaching of the Word and the support of it so that people aren't distracted and and giving half-hearted and and uh, ignorant sermons, but actually giving the Word of God 
and support to those who are in need. See, when you're doing this, the kingdom of God is expanding. The glories of Christ are being proclaimed by people who were not proclaiming His glories before. Christ's ministry is abounding in the world. People are encouraged. When they know that the gift comes from you, then they give thanks to God for you and pray for you all the more that you would grow in grace and knowledge and you benefit from it. All of this is great and wonderful. This is what we're delighted to do because Christ became poor for us. And I don't care if you're poor. You give all the more cheerfully and generously. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. There's everything good about this, you see. So just come on board. Paul's doing a little cheerleading, isn't he? Of course, in the context here, he's also clear to point out that the church, including himself and the officers in Corinth and the officers of the Macedonian churches, are only to spend this money in the right ways. It was a problem in those days as it is a problem today. That, or a temptation, we should say, that uh, leaders in churches who have been commanded to make the decisions about where the money should be spent. Uh, they are always tempted to spend it on their own selfish gain or they are only always tempted to spend it on things that are frivolous, that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God or things that are good in general but don't have anything to do with the kingdom of God. I want you to think about this for a minute. As church officers, where is our money supposed to be spent? And what I say by our is Christ's money that comes from God's people. It's to be spent on what? Advancement of the kingdom of God in paying the preachers to plant the churches and support of their ministry and for the relief of the saints. And we have to watch this so we don't get distracted spending and wasting money on all kinds of other different things. That's not what the kingdom of Christ is about. You don't find that in the scripture. You find Paul receiving the offerings from the early church and spending it on the support of the preaching of the word and the support of the relief of the saints in diaconal causes. That's what it's for. Paul, of course, says we have to be all above board here. He says, personally, I have been above reproach. And to prove it to you, in particular situations, I have worked. I've been a bivocational minister. And sometimes, in various places, it is appropriate for ministers of the Word to be bivocational, in particular cultures, to stay above the board and to live according to the means of their own community and culture. But the point is, that there's two things going on. The generosity of the people of God to pay the preachers, to pay the church plants, to support the diaconal needs of the saints here and around the world, and there is the responsible spending of that money by the church officers. This is the picture that is being painted by Paul. And he's telling the church in Corinth, you better do this. Why am I talking about this? I'm talking about this because Christians that live in the United States of America and dare I say in our own local congregations are tempted to neglect this our financial duty to Christ and His church. And I don't think I can word it any more clearly than the Apostle Paul has when I speak to you as a congregation this morning. I don't care how poor you think you are individually. Most of us living in this culture live better today than ancient kings lived in some places. 
the lower middle class today lives better than many ancient kings lived because of our advances in technology and because of our general life comforts and because of the prosperous culture in which we live. To say nothing of the people who are maybe toward the top part of the lower middle class or even in the middle class or even some of us, perhaps among us, in the uh, higher income range than that. And I will tell you that it is sad that among our churches there is always gimmicks or pleading having to go on in order to regularly fund and faithfully fund church plants such as this. Or relief of the saints which come up on a regular basis as we are doing the work of evangelism and encountering people who have so many troubles. That is a sad case. And I say to you, on the authority of God's word, imitate Christ. Ante up. Open your wallets. Stop clinging to the things of this world. Set aside some of the cultural expectations of what you have to have in order to live basically in this life comfortably and sacrifice some of that for the kingdom of Christ. We'll talk more about this in our catechism session, which will be much more brief than the sermon, but we'll give some more practical ideas. But think about what Christ has done for you, becoming extremely poor so that we might become rich, and then be convicted about your own stinginess and my own stinginess in our contribution to paying money for the advancement of the kingdom. I mean, I'm even talking about the basic support and the continuance, the the sustenance, the maintenance of the High Desert United Reformed Church. We can do more. And I don't even know what you give. I don't even know what your budget is. I didn't look at any of that before I came. And I am telling you that I am certain that you are in the same position as the church in Corinth. And at least you are in the same position as the church in Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica. All I think it's pretty clear that you all have a lot more than what they had. And you need to be motivated by the glories of Christ and how He became rich for you. He's given you everything. Now, there's people boasting in Ontario. There's people boasting throughout our Federation of United Reformed Churches about the church plan here in the high desert. And they hear reports from Pastor Tom and they hear reports from us about and from your elders and all from all of you about the growth and grace and sanctification and the joy that you have as a church family. And I tell you, like the Apostle Paul told Corinth, prove it. Your use of money is the acid test of your sanctification. You can talk to your blue in the face until the cows come home about how God is working in your life and how He's growing this congregation in grace and truth. I want to see it come out of the wallets. Jesus talks more about money as you're learning in the Gospel of Luke and as you'll see as Pastor Tom gets through those middle chapters. He talks so much about money it will surprise you. Why? Because money is one of the great idols in our lives. I want you to prove that your confession is true. I want you to sacrifice some of your pleasures to fill the offerings more to lessen your dependence as a church plant or as a younger church on the other churches. I want you, church officers, to watch your spending and make sure that it is in line with the purposes that God has ordained for the people that God's, uh, for the money that God's people give. 
You don't just spend it on anything. You've got to evaluate your traditions. Evaluate the traditions of our federation. Think about the way in which we'll most promote the kingdom of God in church planning and relief of the saints. So that as Christ's people hear this call and respond to it by His grace and cheerfully give abundantly that you don't squander it. Prove it. You know what's going to happen when the High Desert United Reformed Church and its individuals and families begin to set aside their earthly priorities and put in its place the priorities of the Kingdom of Christ and the maintenance and sustenance of this church? The other churches are going to look around and they're going to give glory to Christ for His work among you. They're going to say that we hardly ever see a successful Reformed Church plant, but there is one where the Gospel has gripped those people's hearts and lives and is being lived out in tangible ways. And it's going to spur other churches on to plant churches. Who knows how long it's going to be before your church plants a church. And people all around this country, and if God is gracious to us all around the world as we're networking in church planning, are going to give praise to God for these insignificant group of people in Apple Valley, California who opened their wallets for support of the kingdom and who grew in the grace in that way. And then they are going to be praying for you and your continued faithfulness and sanctification and you're going to benefit from it. And the leaders of the churches, the preachers are going to be encouraged and sacrifice themselves all the more and give back more of what has been given to them for the support of their ministry to go forward in service of the churches and to help those who are desperate in need and not to neglect them like we are always so tempted to do. This is God's calling to us. This is God's calling to us. And every one of us can sit and listen to this and make excuses or we can hear the law and out of gratitude to Christ, obey it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.